to the Gospel of Luke. We are studying through the Gospel of Luke, and our studies have brought us to chapter 18, a study that I've titled, You Haven't Got a Prayer. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 14 is our text. As soon as I determine mystically that you're all there, I'll start reading it. Okay, here we go. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? He also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this text. It's a joy to be able to read the words of Jesus Christ. To get a sense of of what you sounded like, as it were, and, and how you were received by your audience. To put ourselves in that time and place, Lord, and to to listen to you speaking, knowing that the words you spoke centuries ago are just as meaningful, just as powerful, just as applicable as they were then in our lives, that we might understand some things about an important subject, Lord, prayer, fellowshipping with you. And so I pray that we could have clear thinking today, clear minds, Lord, Ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. There are times when your prayers haven't got a prayer. For example, you haven't got a prayer if you regard sin in your heart. You read in Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Regard means you know what you are doing is sin, but you refuse to forsake it. You can't really pray until you deal with sin in your heart. You haven't got a prayer if, as a husband, you do not show proper understanding towards your wife. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, you read this. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You can't really pray until you deal with your selfishness at home. Sin and selfishness must be dealt with before you can enjoy a conversation with your heavenly father. 
Jesus mentioned two other factors that can determine whether or not your prayers have a prayer. Your problems can so overwhelm you that you lose heart and cease to pray. Obviously, if you cease praying, your prayers won't be heard. And your prosperity can so influence you that you lack humility. You think you're praying, but you're so proud that you're really only talking to yourself. We'll look at problems and prosperity with regards to prayer. And we'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, you haven't got a prayer if you lose heart in your problems. And number two, you haven't got a prayer if you lack humility in your prosperity. First of all, let's look at verses one through eight. You haven't got a prayer if you lose heart in your problems. There are times when the general feeling of your life is that you are prospering. Things could be better, but they're not terrible. Then there are those times when things are terrible. You've got problems. If you're a Christian, your problems usually put you on your knees. They drive you to prayer. You deal with sin. You deal with selfishness. You storm the very gates of heaven. You pour out your heart in adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication to your Father. What if your problems, though, don't get any relief from all of your fervent prayer? What if they remain? Well, then there is a tendency for you to become discouraged. Jesus calls discouragement losing heart. If you lose heart in your problems, you will quit praying. And if you quit praying... It will contribute to you losing heart. And so in verse one, he said he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, before we comment on the story, we need to set it in its context. Jesus had just told his disciples as we ended chapter 17 that he was going to suffer and be rejected by the religious leaders of Israel. We know exactly what he meant. He would be crucified on the hill called Calvary. He would be resurrected from the grave and then ascend into heaven. After an extended absence from the earth, Jesus would return in his second coming to establish the kingdom. But the years of his absence, the centuries of delay, would be filled with problems for his followers, especially the last seven years just prior to his return. The delay in establishing the kingdom on earth preceded by the great tribulation is inevitable. It is a fact of future history. Nothing can change it. And that's why Jesus said in verse seven, look at that. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. Now carefully note those words. They are key to understanding this story. Though he bears long with them in the future, believers will be in terrible trouble, even the great tribulation. But God will delay answering their prayers for deliverance from their troubles. The great tribulation must run its course. Now, you and I are fortunate to be believers in the church age. We are not going to be involved in the great tribulation that is coming upon this planet. We will be removed from earth in an event called the rapture of the church just prior to the great tribulation. But we will have our problems in Jesus' absence. And some of our problems will not be removed. 
We will have a tendency to lose heart and quit praying in our problems when God seems to bear along with us and not remove our trials. We have a tendency to not accept his will for our lives and rather than continue to have a strong, close, personal relationship with the Lord, we lose heart because he didn't give us what we asked for. We should pray and not lose heart. To illustrate, Jesus told the story of the widow and the unjust judge. Verse 2. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. It seems as though Jesus was saying that if we persist in prayer, God must answer us favorably. That is not at all the point of this story. Get that out of your head right now. We saw just the opposite when we read verse 7. God is not going to answer them until the proper time, no matter how persistent they are. Jesus is describing a situation in which God will delay answering prayer, but we should go on praying. And so our first thoughts about this are wrong. It might help to understand first century Jewish legal culture. A widow would never get a hearing before an unjust judge. She had no money by which to bribe the judge. She had no social standing by which she could help him politically. In other words, in their culture, she might as well say nothing at all. It would be unusual for her to say anything. She would immediately lose heart and think to keep it all to herself. But she persisted. She went up to the unjust judge and it seems to indicate from the way it's written that she found him in the marketplace. She cornered him at Walmart. Well, that's where all the judges shop, you know. But anyway, she she went to his house and, and yelled through the gate. Anytime she saw him out in public, maybe he was making public appearances as a judge. She was there with her placard saying, give me justice. And so she was all over this guy. Always there laying out her case before him. You have to think about this the way Jesus' disciples would have first thought about it. The widow kept talking to the judge even though in their culture it seemed like it would do no good whatsoever. And the judge eventually answered her request. Now Jesus made this application in verses 6 and 7. Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Jesus first contrasted you with the widow. You're not a widow. You're one of God's elect, a dearly loved child of God. The widow had little or no access to the unjust judge. You have full and complete access to your father in heaven. The widow had no advocate or to represent her. You have a representative. He's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, seated at the right hand of God. The widow was appealing on earth to a court of law. You boldly approach the eternal throne of grace. If a widow 
in her problems with no reasonable hope of being heard persisted in talking to an unjust judge how much more should you a dearly loved child of god persevere in prayer even though god bears long with you and your problems persist that's the application that's the application and so he says in verse 8 i tell you that he will avenge them speedily now remember again the context so important here jesus will be in heaven there will be a great tribulation on the earth Believers will be martyred for their faith. And if you read the revelation of Jesus Christ, you see they are crying out both on earth and in heaven for vengeance and justice. But God keeps telling them to wait and he bears long with them. He allows them to suffer. He allows their problems to persist until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then he avenges them speedily. Now, speedily means that when it happens, it happens all at once. doesn't mean it's coming quickly or anything like that. It means that at the second coming of Jesus Christ, in a moment, at his return, everything will be changed and made right. And then Jesus adds this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? It doesn't take faith to make demands on God. It takes faith to endure the demands of God. Do you understand that? Very different. We have a whole Christian theology that has developed an idea that if you have really great faith, you can demand anything from God and that he has to answer you. And I'll tell you, I mean, you don't have to be a genius to figure out where that leads. It leads to people making great demands on God. God, let my child live. God, let my husband live. God, let my wife be spared this agony. The child dies, the husband dies, the wife is in agony, and then the people who are teaching this doctrine come and they say, hey, you just didn't have the faith. Because if you had this great faith, God would have answered you. They base, you know, As far as I can tell, this theology is based on the fact that God is an unjust judge. They think that God is the unjust judge in this story. And that you have to nag him incessantly and finally because he wants to get rid of you. He answers you affirmatively. So you just have to be the biggest nag on earth and you can get anything you want. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's, it's terrifying, actually. It's not at all what Jesus is talking about. It doesn't take faith to make demands on God. It takes faith to endure the demands of God when God's answer is no or wait. When God allows something in your life and then asks you to bear along with it, that is where faith is required and revealed. Believers should not lose heart, even though their problems persist. They should continue to pray, not necessarily for the thing that they've been praying for, but just in a relationship with the Lord. Paul the Apostle had some kind of physical ailment. He called it a thorn in his flesh. We think it might have been a, uh, an eye problem that was frequent in the New Testament called ophthalmalia, where your eyes would just ooze and weep, kind of like a really bad pink eye that couldn't be fixed, you know. Imagine right now, if you're, if you're a preacher, it's kind of a problem to have pink eye all the time. You get just like pus coming out of your eyes while you're talking to people. Hey, come to our church. Why? We have a pussy pastor, you know. So, so. Pastor Puss is there. But anyway, uh, so it's, it's kind of, it just, it's weird and uncomfortable. But it may not have been that. It may have been something else. But Paul had this problem. He says that he prayed about it, prayed about it three times fervently. 
And then God told him that he wasn't going to heal him, that God's grace was sufficient for him. And then Paul said, well, then I'll glory in that. I'll glory in my weakness. You want me to have pussy eyes? That's your business. I'll just go about my business serving you. That's where faith comes in. Now, persistent problems can discourage you. They can cause you to quit praying. But if you quit praying, guess what? You're just going to get more discouraged because you cut yourself off from the very source of your encouragement. This story, again, is not about getting everything you pray for. It's about not getting what you pray for, but continuing in prayer so that God can strengthen you in the trouble that he has determined will remain. A wise man once said, you can't always get what you want. But you'll get what you need. Anyway, just some of you caught that. Actually, a stoned man once said that. You can't always get what you want, but you'll get what you need. The grace of God that is sufficient to strengthen you in your problems until you are with the Lord. Somebody's going to leave here and say, I didn't know Mick Jagger was a Christian. He doesn't either. But anyway, problems seem to dominate your life, but there are times of prosperity. If not in your life, at least in the lives of others. How do you react to your or their prosperity? Well, in verses 9 through 14, you haven't got a prayer if you lack humility in your prosperity. You have to be a little careful when things are going good. You have a tendency to take credit when you are prospering, as if you had something to do with it. Jesus told a parable about the perils of prosperity. Verse 9, he also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm giving the proper inflection here from the text. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now I want to remind you that the Pharisees were considered the cream of the spiritual crop. They were the spiritual giants of their day. They were the leaders. They were the examples everybody was to follow. Before you judge this Pharisee for his attitude, because you know the end of this story, check out his accomplishments because they're real. First of all, he wasn't extorting money, he wasn't unjust, and he wasn't committing any obvious sexual sin. In other words, he was keeping God's law, and that's a good thing. We can't criticize him for keeping God's law. Secondly, he was fasting twice a week and giving tithes of all he possessed. The Jews were only required to fast once a year, and they were not required to tithe on all that they possessed. So this guy was doing more than was required by the law. The Pharisee was keeping God's law and going beyond what was required. Up to this point, you'd say he was doing pretty well for himself. The tax collector was a despised social parasite. His very profession made him a traitor to the Jews and put him in the category of a lawbreaker to them. Now, up to this point in the story, we'd rather be the Pharisee. Keeping God's law going beyond its requirements. But we know the rest of the story. We know that the Pharisee was a phony. Concerning his prayer, we read in verse 11, he prayed with himself. 
You know, a lot of times when people are praying, they're praying with themselves. I mean, obviously God hears them. You know, people say, does God hear this or do? Yeah, yeah, he's God. What they mean is, does he act on it? And, and the answer sometimes is, of course, no. So God hears these people praying, but they're really only praying to themselves. They're, they're talking about themselves to other people rather than pouring out their heart before God. He didn't have a prayer because of his pride. Do we ever act like this Pharisee? Let's think about that for just a minute. First of all, he compared himself to someone else. Now, we probably don't do this openly. I don't know of anybody, that I, nobody in our congregation, I don't think, has ever done anything like this. So we have a, you know, last Wednesday of the month, we have the communion service and we open it up for prayer. Other times we have congregational prayer. I've yet to hear anybody get up and say, Father, I'm so thankful I'm not like Pastor Gene's son, Gene Jr. I mean, he just, I'm just so blessed that I didn't turn out that way. I mean, it's not like, you know, I've never heard anybody say that. They thought it, however. Because we, even though we don't do these things openly, we do them in our hearts. We can think of ourselves as better than others. We might not even do it for bad motives. It's not that we want to put other people down. It's we want to put ourselves up a little bit. And so we compare ourselves to others. It's only natural. But we are to be supernatural if we're Christians, not natural. And so we need to quit comparing ourselves to others. Instead, we're to compare ourselves to Jesus. He is the standard. After all, he is the person that God is conforming us into. The person we are becoming more and more like is Jesus Christ. So if you want to compare yourself to anyone at all, take a look at the Lord. Don't, it doesn't matter how much better or even worse you are than anyone else. All that matters is where you are in your walk with the Lord in terms of looking at him and being brought along. And so that's uh, that's one way that we sometimes do act like this Pharisee. It's a more subtle way. But these subtleties, if they're left alone, come out sooner or later. You know, Pharisees didn't start out this way. They didn't start out openly proud and publicly praising themselves. It took time for them to get to that place. And so I've noticed in my own life and in the lives of others, you know, as you think in your heart, so you are. Eventually what you're thinking comes out. And, and becomes reflected. And so be careful about heart comparisons. And then second of all, we can sometimes put ourselves on a pedestal thinking we are encouraging others by sharing our successes. And again, I'm giving us the best possible motives. We want to encourage other believers in their walk with the Lord. And maybe they've even come to you and say, hey, I want to be more like you and I, you know, I want to be spirit-filled or whatever it is. You know, how, do, how do you do it? And we have to be a little bit careful there. If I seem to be prospering and then I tell others how I'm doing it, I need to be careful. You know, I, I, I have to avoid the tendency to say, well, you know, uh, I've been getting up at 4 a.m. First three hours there on my knees with Jesus. So uh, maybe uh, you want to join me. Well, yeah, well, what they don't know is you did that 10 years ago, one time. And you want to do it every day, but you keep hitting snooze, you know, and stuff. And, and, and we do that. Or you talk about how you're constantly in prayer, how, you know, God has, you know, you're just so much in tune with the Lord all the time that you, you're getting into accidents driving down the road practically, you know. But his angels are protecting you. 
or some superior discipline in your life, some area that you've really nailed down where other people seem to be struggling or your benevolence or how, how dedicated you are to serve the Lord, how much time you're allotting just to serve. And, and now, again, best motives. I'm not saying anybody has the wrong motives, but it, it all sta- sta- starts coming across as if you're doing it, as if what you're saying to people is if you do these things, you too will be spiritual. You start sounding like an infomercial, really, for Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, get up on your knees every day at 4 a.m. Your spiritual life will be resurrected. And uh, it just, it's insane, this kind of thinking. Now, here's the thing. Discipline, determination, dedication, those are good and necessary for you spiritually. But you can never take credit for them. If you are prospering, it is always by the grace of God. I know people, they won't admit it, but they are spiritually behind in some of these areas. And God still prospers them. And I know guys that are on their knees from 4 a.m. till 7 a.m. who are experiencing huge problems in their life. And so we have to get it out of our heads that the more spiritual I am, the better my life is going to be, the more I'm going to prosper. This is just wrong. Prosperity is not something you deserve or earn or merit because of your efforts. Paul the Apostle again. He said sometimes I'm abounding. Sometimes I'm abased. I've learned in all states. To be content. In other words none of that mattered to him. He didn't consider prosperity. A gift from God. And his problems a punishment from God. He just considered God. He said God today if you want me to prosper. I'll learn how to do that. It's going to be tough. Because it appeals to my pride. I start thinking that I had something to do with it. That you finally caught on. That I was getting up at 4 a.m. One of my guardian angels said, Hey, are we going to reward Gene or what? God, if you want me to have problems today, then I can really sense and feel your grace in them. It's going to be tough. I don't like to have problems, but I know you'll be there with me. And so that's the thing. We left our tax collector in the temple, so let's see what happened to him. It says in verse 13, The tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, this guy had a totally different attitude towards prayer. His physical posture represents he only had himself and God in mind as he prayed. And that's a good place to begin. Prayer is just you and the Lord Number one, he didn't look around to see if there was someone else to compare himself to. Now, if I was as bad as this guy, I would have been looking around. In fact, I would have brought somebody with me that was worse than me. (laughs) Say, hey, hey, come with me to the temple, would you? And just just sit there so that I can look over at you and think, man, am I glad I'm not as bad as you. But he didn't do that. He just went and, and talked to God. His eyes were looking downward, indicating he recognized God's holiness. He was comparing himself to God. He was in the presence of God. But for Jesus Christ, none of us could have a relationship with God. And so he averted his gaze. He beat his breast, which I believe indicates he knew that his problems were within his breast, in his heart. He was a sinner by birth and by action. And he knew that there was nothing that could be done about it apart from God's intervention. And he appealed only for mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
No amount of discipline or determination or dedication could ever guarantee you mercy. It's always by the grace of God. You know, if you're prospering, this is a great prayer to pray. Anybody can pray this prayer. Because we're not comparing ourselves to a tax collector or even a Pharisee. See, our danger is we compare ourselves to the Pharisee and think that we're better off because we're more like the tax collector. But are we? Are we really just comparing ourselves to the Lord and saying, Lord, thank you for prospering me. I don't deserve it. It's nothing that I'm doing. Lord, I'm glad to get up early in the morning and spend time with you, and I want to do that more, and and I love the way I'm serving you and the way that you've done this in my life, but Lord, I know that that's not why you're prospering me. I know that it's just that you love me. Or Lord, you know, I've got this problem, and it seems like it's not going to go away. It's a... Maybe it's an illness, Lord. It's a disease, and I know you can heal it. I know you can. You've done it in the past. I've read testimonies. I've been to healing service. I know you can do it, but it doesn't seem like you're going to. And it's not a lack of faith for me to say that. And so, Lord, can you give me the grace for it? Can you strengthen me so that I can be a testimony within it? Because my life is just yours anyway. If you want me to die, then I'm going to die for the glory of God. And so none of that really matters. It, it, what All that matters is that you're just with the Lord and that you talk to Him. Tax collector, he's a visual aid to teach you humility. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself, that person will be exalted. Heart humility is necessary if you want your prayers to be heard. How do you do that? How do you humble yourself in prayer? Well, you remember that it's just you and God when you pray. There's no one to compare yourself to except Jesus. Anything you've achieved is a gift of grace. You don't deserve to prosper because of your discipline, determination, or dedication, or anything else. You could just as easily have problems rather than prosperity. Don't take credit for your prosperity, and don't blame God in your problems. Christians need to think differently about their problems and their prosperity. As I said, prosperity is not a reward for righteousness and problems are not a punishment for failure. Job put it best when after suffering tragedy for no apparent reason, he said this. This is from Job 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is our whole study in a nutshell. The Lord gave. He prospered. What's your response? Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has taken away. I have problems. What's the response? Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, it's, it, it, and then Job's friends, they're the ones that came along and said, Job, this is your fault. You weren't righteous enough. You've brought punishment upon yourself because God wants to prosper you if you do all the right things. It took a whole book that nobody even likes to read (laughs) because you're afraid problems are going to come into your life. It takes an entire book of chapter after chapter of just inane babblings almost for Job to come to this same conclusion that he already knew, but he didn't really have a handle on it. And, And see, that's the point of the book of Job. Job says at the end, he goes, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I really know you. But his, his perspective never really changed. This Chapter 1, this is the truth, even though it hadn't really gotten from his head to his heart. 
He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he lost heart. And then he despaired and he accused God and he argued with his friends. And finally, God says, all right, let me talk to you. And God just tells him like it is. Were you there when I created the universe? Can you keep the ocean from overspreading its boundaries? What are you talking about? Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I am your advocate? Don't you know that there's something greater and more beautiful going on than these tragedies in your life? And Job said, yeah, I, I want to know that. I do know that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For some of us, God will answer prayer by granting our request. Some will be healed. Some will be delivered. Some will prosper. It always seems like it's someone else, though, doesn't it? Because for others among us, God will answer our prayer by withholding our request. We will not be healed, at least not in this lifetime. We will not be delivered from trouble. We'll continue to have problems right up until the time we are looking into the face of Jesus Christ. Your examples, your heroes, as it were, a widow and a tax collector. Don't you love Jesus? I mean, he just so, it's just so cool the way he does things. I mean, we talk about role models and your kids having heroes and, you know, whether there are, should they be sports figures or Christian, you know, all this kind of stuff. Jesus said, here's some heroes for you. A widow who had no hope of being heard and a tax collector. Call for tax collector. I don't know, you know, something like that. Remember Super Chicken? Nobody still remembers Super Chicken. Pam chastised me the other day because no one knows who... How many of you know who Super Chicken is? Raise your hand. Okay, that's a previous message. It has nothing to do with anything other than I'm really old now. But anyway. <laughs> and so those are your heroes. Those are the heroes of the faith. These are the heroes in these stories. A widow and a tax collector. From a social standpoint, you want to be a judge or a Pharisee. But Jesus says, no, the real heroes are widows who persist when there's no hope. And tax collectors who know their low estate. Those are people you can learn from. If you're not a Christian, any prosperity you might enjoy is always temporary. You should be planning, but not for your retirement on earth, your eternity and where you're going to spend it. Any problems you might endure as an unbeliever are really God's gifts to show you emptiness powerlessness, hopelessness, loneliness so that you will beat your breast because that's where the problem lies. Deep within where you can't do anything about it, where no surgeon can reach because it's a spiritual surgery that's required. A new heart has to be given to you, a spiritual heart that you don't have that's only available when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, how gracious you are to give us these words and to make them so real to us. What business do we have thinking about widows and tax collectors? Plenty, it turns out, because they are our heroes. They're the ones, Lord, that most represent the spiritual attitude that you would like us to have. And so I pray, Lord, on the one hand, that we would not lose heart in our problems. And as I survey my own life and the lives of those that are here, Lord, we have a lot of problems, a lot of trials, a lot of trouble. 
And I'm not talking about things we brought upon ourselves, Lord. I'm talking about real troubles that are part of the sinful world that we live in. There are people here, Lord, and always will be until you come that have diseases and that are facing serious dilemmas, illnesses. And there are people here, Lord, who have gone through terrible losses and are facing those as well. And I pray, Lord, that as we come to you and ask you to heal and to deliver, we would also be hearing your voice, Lord. And if you're telling us to bear along with these things, that we would receive your grace for that. Because you sometimes give, but you other times take away. And we want to be those who always say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, if you're prospering us, I pray that we would not grow proud, that we would not think that it's because we deserve it, that we've earned it, that we merit it, that there's anything about us that caused you to bless us. It's simply your decision at this time in our lives. And though we can encourage one another in our walk with the Lord and we can learn how to have a, a, a deeper, more meaningful walk with you, I pray that we would not put it in physical terms, Lord, that if everyone does what I do, they will be blessed. Because blessing and prosperity, Lord, those are from your hand and they don't really follow any rhyme or reason. We just want to be a people, Lord, that is in love with you, that can receive from your hand things that are good, things that we would put in the category of being bad, and bless you. Call upon your name so that others would see that you live. We thank you and we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Some of the guys will be here to pray with you after the service. And I encourage some of you to do that. You know, I know a lot of you are hurting. Uh, I'm not saying that personally to anybody, but I mean, it's just the truth. Anytime you get more than one person in a room, there's problems. You know, some of you guys are really hurting for different things. And so some of our guys will be here. They'll pray with you. Wait for them. Uh, Don't leave unless your heart is right with the Lord. Maybe you're not a Christian today. I'm so glad you're here. We're all blessed that you're here. Uh, You're here for a reason, and that's because God has invited you to be here. He wanted you to hear these words today. Not my words, but His word read and then spoken so that it could get down into your heart. And uh, it's really very simple. If you die without Christ, you go into a Christless eternity, which means that you are going to be uh, suffering in hell. And that's just the way it is. We can uh, talk about the theology of it later on if you want, in terms of why that is and how can a God of love and all that but you know it doesn't really matter you can talk about it for eternity in hell if you'd like to I guess that's that's what's going to happen to you if you don't know the Lord if you do know the Lord your joy can be full John the Apostle said I'm writing so that your joy would be full the Apostle Peter said that we could have joy unspeakable and full of glory now I'm not saying that I even have that all the time but this is what God wants for us as we begin to put him into focus and everything else into perspective and so trust the Lord this week in your problems and for your prosperity Uh, we'll be back Wednesday morning the men meet Wednesday night fellowship in the fellowship hall Uh, Friday night uh, some wildebeest so uh, join us for that God bless you we love you amen
that does not